Hi there, Megan Thompson with Megan Thompson Coaching. And today we're going to cover when you feel like you're parenting with a third wheel involved. And that is the nitpicking your spouse is doing or your co-parent is doing when your sensitive kid and you and your family are stuck in the meltdown cycle. Hello and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. Let's make sure that we know what we're talking about here. In parenting this, the a sensitive child, a highly sensitive child or teen, and being stuck in the meltdown cycle, what that means is that your sensitive kid could be hitting, kicking, running away, shutting down. Your teenager could be telling you that that um, it doesn't matter anyways, and they might, they're better off just staying in their bed, staying in their room, closed doors, isolating on their phone, etc. And when you're parenting with a partner, a co-parent, right, whether that be spouse or partner or what have you, it can be incredibly difficult to stay on the same page. So we're gonna cover that today. Now, here at MTC, how do we know what we're doing, right? Uh, and, and this is important for us to cover. I've been helping parents of sensitive kids break out of the meltdown cycle for over a decade now, and we've been doing this exclusively for many, many years. And uh, we help parents do that in as little as eight weeks. Now, how do I know what we're talking about? Um, more than just the results that we've been we've been providing for years for, with families and their work their work um, is what ha- makes it happen in their home. Well, <clears throat> my team and I each respectively have over a decade worth of experience in our fields. So for me particularly, my field is mental health. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor, and that's the mental health industry's credentials. But uh, in in this capacity. I'm here as a parent coach and consultant, and we help parents around the world. So, uh, and these are parents of children ages two all the way up through 18. Now we work with teenagers in high school um, alongside their parents, but for eighth graders and under, we work with parents only because the research on, on highly sensitive kids demonstrates consistently that you as a parent are your child's change agent. And that is incredibly important for you to know um, and to anchor in because when you're parenting a sensitive kid, you can be listening to any Tom, Dick, and Harry about what could be helpful for, for parenting an emotionally aware child, but it's a, a very important that you follow people who know what they're talking about in terms of parenting a highly sensitive child. And high sensitivity is a personality trait that's found in over um, 20% of the population. That means one in every five, okay? Um, and, and so that means that if you're a family of five, you might have a highly sensitive kid in your, in your family. Um, might mean that you have a family of three people or all five of you could be highly sensitive. This isn't a cut and dry statistic in the sense that the odds are even. That's not how statistics work, right? So um, let's get get diving into the, the challenges that we here at MTC solve. So all of our professionals and the team and uh, every team member that we work with serves the entire family that we work, the, in the families that we work with. 
uh, they all have at least a decade's worth of experience in either occupational therapy, uh, neuroscience, mental health, like myself, um, education components to that as well. And so we've been doing this for a long time um, in other avenues uh, in, and in the coaching component too. So we've, we've been around the block, if you will. And when we think about why one of the things that you need to be focusing on um, is, is how both you and your spouse need to, need to be able to work on the same page is so important. One thing that we hear from parents often is that one parent can be paying attention to the small details that your child needs to be focusing on, their, their behavior that they need to be focusing on. And then another parent can be looking at the bigger picture. And uh, this can be very common. And so we want, that's what we're going to talk about today is how to look at the big picture and, uh, and focus on the details in a way that actually moves the needle, breaks you out of that daily meltdown cycle, daily meltdown cycle, or I mean, daily shutdown cycle as well, um, without overwhelming your child or your whole family, because that's a lot to keep track of, right? So let's focus on this. Now, we know for sure it is not developmentally appropriate for any child over the age of four to be having daily meltdowns. And it's incredibly exhausting and draining for children under the age of four to be having daily meltdowns that last longer than five minutes. And so it's important for you to observe uh, your, your sensitive kid. And if they fit anywhere in those categories, then you should definitely be tuning in because your child is not exhibiting developmentally appropriate behavior. And that means that they're not only lagging behind, but they're also significantly stressed. Um, today, we're going to cover your stress, right? Um, and the challenges that you're having particularly, but make sure that you stay tuned. And if this is your first show, uh, go ahead and watch or listen wherever you're following me here at this moment um, for, you know, for, for other components to this meltdown cycle, because there are many factors related to this. Uh, but today, we're going to focus on the challenge you're having as a parent when you hear your spouse or co-parent focus on a smaller issue, like if your child is trying to um, hold it all in and, and be flexible uh, in, in tolerating a, a new dinner option, um, but they say it in a way that, that isn't very kind, um, you might notice, oof, they're really working on it, but your, your spouse might say, don't talk to your mother like that. Um, and, and when that happens, that can be really tricky for you as a parent. And obviously I'm, I'm um, you know, uh, picking, picking a, a parent here. And so um, for you as a parent, hearing their, your spouse or co-parent give feedback um, to your kiddo when you're looking at a different angle and, and perhaps zooming out to your child's flexibility in that moment, um, the issue at hand can be really stressful for you, right? You could be stuck in trying to not set off the bomb and help your kid choose a different food for dinner that they're not used to. Um, and you might be deciding that your priority in that moment isn't the language that they use to communicate that with you, but that they're flexible nonetheless. Uh, but if your spouse is focusing on the, the, the fact that they are respectful in the moment and having um, safe language, then you have a, a ticking time bomb on your hands, not only with your kid, you know, in terms of trying to prevent the meltdown, but then also with your, with your relationship with your spouse, right? And your, your own responsivity to that. Uh, it could be that you're, you as, as parent are the one trying not to, not to explode at your spouse. Man, why'd you have to point that out today? Uh, we were moving into, into kiddo trying broccoli for the first time. Jeez. Um, and, and so in that experience, uh, obviously it can be not only stressful, but also can be difficult to navigate. 
uh, in terms of, of whether or not you as a parent are certain what you should be prioritizing in that moment. Should you be prioritizing both things, using respectful language and being flexible at the same time? Should you be focusing on, on the respectful language and then flexibility comes after that, right? I mean, either or could be a, a, a toss up when you're trying to break out of the meltdown cycle without a system. And so not only are you trying to help your kids stay calm, but you're also trying to help yourself stay calm. And, and oftentimes this means that uh, you're trying really hard not to give your spouse side eye or glare at them um, when, when they are trying to support your child in developing in an emotionally healthy way, but not doing it in a way that, that is in alignment with what's going on in your mind in that moment, okay? And so what that means is that you're, you're holding down the fort in a lot of different ways. You're stifling your voice, likely you're likely trying to notice that your spouse or co-parent is saying things like um, you know they have a right to parent their kid and you're trying to manage um, you know parental perspectives on uh, what that actually looks like and what parenting principles in general um, that, that your partner doesn't need your permission to have uh, an assessment of your kid's behavior um, and so all of this, in addition to that, you know, your child is, is managing the stress and tension in the house because they see it on your face. You know, when you're about to give your, your partner a look, um, then uh, that mitigation, you know, trying not to give your partner a look can also be noticed by your sensitive kid because we know sensitive kids uh, notice those subtleties, right? So uh, in addition to that, we're, we already know that your child is irritable because you're trying to help them grow in this circumstance, like I said, trying a new food for, for dinner, for example. Um, but it might be just trying to get them out the door, right? And uh, um, they're not using the most effective language. So either way, um, all of this can feel so tiring and draining in this experience. And so as a parent, it can feel very tricky to figure out what to prioritize and when. So you might have tried a few things to break out of this pattern, right? You might have wanted to, to give your spouse direct feedback in the moment. Hey, we're not focusing on respectful language right now. We're focusing on getting the kid to eat the dang broccoli. Um, or um, I'm just trying to get out the door. I don't care how he talks to me right now. <laughs> Um, and, and in that response, in that experience, what happens, right? Wanting to give direct feedback to your partner can undermine your, your partner's parenting authority, which can lead to a lot of frustration between the two of you in, in your relationship, um, in, in, your, in your marriage or your, your, relation, your, your relationship. And, and in that respect, um, what it leads to is, is a disconnect between two people who are supposed to be sharing the in-charge experience of running the household, right? And so obviously that can feel incredibly frustrating, but also um, leave you staying, uh, feeling alone on an island in, in parenting your sensitive kid. And, and so then the next thing you might have tried is to hold it all in, right? Well, maybe I shouldn't give feedback to my spouse um, at this point. Maybe I should just hang on to that feedback and um, see if it's a pattern and then eventually address it. Uh, but what does ignoring do, right? Ignoring always keeps you stuck in helplessness and powerlessness. And it also helps you end up being the um, emotional gender, right, of your sensitive kid where you're just sweeping up the meltdown after the fact because if your spouse made a comment that threw your kid over the edge uh, when you were trying to help them, you know, stretch out of their comfort zone in some other way and then one more piece of feedback was just the straw that broke the camel's back, 
here we have a situation where now you, the parent in charge in the moment, trying to work on whatever transition it is, trying to work on whatever um, priority major, you know, action you want your kid to be taking right now, whether that be get out the door, eat the broccoli. Like I said, um, you, you, you pick, you know, do the homework, you pick the behavior, whatever it is that you're looking for in that moment. But what happens in that moment is the, the meltdown cycle arises, right? And so if you're the one in charge trying to get the broccoli eaten, trying to get out the door, trying to get the homework done, then it's likely you as a parent are the one left trying to still, you know, accomplish that task post meltdown, okay? Um, and so what happens is that you might be dealing, needing to, to support your child and then it takes even longer, right? Um, to do that. So then not only does the whining and complaining and frustration that your child is exhibiting, exhibiting in that moment take as long as it, as it does, but then we have the meltdown cycle on top of it. So that means the, um, the frustration, the yelling, the kicking, the screaming, the quitting, and then the coaxing and the reassuring and the calming and, and the pacing and the maybe even quitting for you as a parent as well. And so now you have 20, 40, 60 minutes added to this timeline when all you're expecting to do is just finish dinner or, you know, finish uh, the five minute worksheet or whatever it is that your kiddo is, is expected to do in that moment and, and or get out the door, which obviously, you know, if you have any place that you need to be in a timely fashion, 60 minutes is a big gap. You could be missing the, the activity altogether. And so we're dealing with this in, in a multiple, multiple different ways, right? And lots of parents can be trying either of those things, or you could be trying number three, which is, um, I like to call Monday morning quarterbacking. I mean, I didn't make up that phrase, but um, if you're anywhere other than in the US, you might need some reference point of what, what I mean by that, that turn of phrase, but basically looking at the situation and trying to correct it in hindsight. And so what happens then when you're bringing that up at, at bedtime with your spouse or co-parent is that you're you're not able to take apart the entire incident because your your memory is only um, as good as your memory can be uh, when you're living in survival mode, and so that means that you're going to miss details, and it puts your spouse or co-parent on the defensive, right? Um, because you're you're seeing things from one one angle, and you would wished it could have been handled differently. And if your spouse feels like your kid deserved to have the the feedback that they they needed in that moment. Then you have an argument on your hands and you're trying to figure out whose priority is more important. Is it the parent who's looking at the bigger picture or is it the parent who's looking at, you know, how we do one thing is, is how we do everything. And if your child is speaking to you in a disrespectful way, then, um, then your child needs that feedback immediately so that that pattern doesn't continue. And so when we think about the, these challenges and these two seemingly opposing ideas, uh, it can be extremely frustrating for you as, and, and draining. And the other option is that um, maybe you do collaborate and you do come up with a different way to talk to each other or a different way to give each other um, that, you know, that, that teamwork approach in the moment when your kiddo is struggling. But this is all you end up talking about, right? And we've heard so many parents over the years, you know, we've helped at this point over 350 families break out of that meltdown cycle. Um, and, and over the years, we've spoken to f- way more families than that who, who, um, who have decided either not to work with us or who weren't a fit. And one of the challenges that, that is incredibly important that we see for families who are stuck in this cycle is that um, this, this can be all-consuming. I mean, you can go to date night and speak, spend the whole time talking about your sensitive kid. 
not have any idea what your what your spouse is doing at work, not have any idea about your, your spouse's hopes and dreams, let alone even think about dreaming or hoping with your family at all. Because when you're stuck in the survival mode component, all you can think about is tunnel vision. How do I make tomorrow better? And um, tomorrow is as far ahead as you can look oftentimes, right? And so when we think about being able to break out of this pattern and, and, and look globally um, for, for your child's development and think long-term, it, it poses a bigger issue for you. You can end up thinking that eventually it'll figure its way out. Um, you know, it'll shape, it'll shape its, shake its, itself out. But the, the question at this point becomes how, right? What is liberating in this experience? How do you break out of this pattern on a consistent basis because the experience you're having right now is draining. You're either passing out at the end of the night, just wiped out, not, you know, can't talk about anything more and, and frustrated, feeling either frustrated with your child, um, frustrated with how you handle the situation or frustrated with your spouse or all three, um, or, you know, feeling aggravated in the sense that, um, that the small things, the nitpicking are, is, is also something that you're doing, but only to your spouse instead of to your kid. And so then obviously looking at it from a, from an, from a situation where the, the entire family is stuck in this pattern of just keeping a negativity ledger and just paying attention to all the things that just aren't working in the household. And so when we think about that pattern that parents are in, we, we identify with our clients consistently that this is a symptom of the meltdown cycle. And it's important for you to notice that this problem is pervasive. Uh, the problem is is not just whether or not your kid will eat broccoli. It's not just whether or not your kid will wear socks um, to school under their boots. It is not just whether or not your child will do their homework on a regular basis or wants to go to school regularly. The challenge is going on every single day, every hour of the day, if your child is having meltdowns on a daily basis. And that's part of the general um, mission of, of MTC is, is to help you guys understand as parents how big a problem this really is uh, because many parents stuck in this pattern will try to to look at it from a, a smaller um, perspective and that keeps you stuck actually in reactive mode because most professionals will start to support you in a reactive way um, helping you break out of the pattern by just looking at the problem of the week um, so the problem of the week might very well be that you are are, are stressed and, and trying to get your kid to eat broccoli because that was when the biggest meltdown happened um, but honestly, your child's ability to manage stress and challenges is, is, it doesn't matter whether you're serving them broccoli or you're asking them to do homework. It's all the same problem. Your child needs the capacity to break out of the pattern of feeling like challenge is impossible. And uh, that imp important component that they, f that they perceive for themselves is, is tackled in multiple different ways. And it's not something that you can tackle just by piecemeal thinking about it from a certain circumstance. You need to be able to teach your son or daughter or children to break out of this pattern in a more principled way. They need to be able to believe for, at their whole heart that they are capable of trying their best and learning how, how to make their best even better. And that experience is not something that you as a parent of a sensitive kid can just teach them in the context of broccoli or teach them in the context of homework. You have to teach them that all day long in different ways. Now, obviously, we, we're talking about making this simpler for you. That's what MTC has been able to do. Simplify it down to solve the problem and eliminate that meltdown cycle in as little as eight weeks. Um, that that's, sounds pretty simple to me, right? 
especially if you've been dealing with this for a heck of a lot longer than the two months it takes to turn most, most family dynamics around. Now, with that being said, doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It's very hard work. And um, so is staying stuck in the meltdown cycle. So let's look at what actually is liberating, right? Because if you have a plan, if you know what breaks out of the cycle, then it's a heck of a lot easier to actually do it um, when, when you know not only it's going to work for you, but also whether or not um, the, you know, the plan is applicable to your particular family. So what we know for sure is that there are four main components to fixing the problem and, and breaking this pattern uh, for, for parents of sensitive kids first happens in your ability to think about problems differently. You know, when you're stuck in, in the meltdown cycle and you're in survival mode, you are in reactive mode. That is something that will happen over and over and over again. And it is not something that just learning about the fight flight response is going to break you out of either, right? Because again, just noticing when you're in fight or flight is a reactive process in and of itself. So it's important for you to get out ahead of it, start to think differently about how your child is gauging their, their challenges and start to look at your child's challenges from a place of having a struggle in generalizing their skills rather than in building skills from scratch or in demonstrating a skill and then being able to repeat it. And this is important because when you're parenting a sensitive kid, you can't teach a kid to generalize a skill by focusing on teaching in a narrow experience. Okay, you have to teach them to generalize the skill in all avenues of their life. So if your child is only capable of managing their emotional state in, say, for example, the school setting, I want you to take a pretty clear look at what that actually means. Because managing an emotional state does not mean holding it your ish together. All right. If you're boiling inside and um, you're able to put on a happy face, that's people pleasing. That's not that's not emotional management. Um, and, and so it's really important for and that's emotional stuffing, um, which will show up later as an explosion. Right. Because a boiled pot with a lid on it still boils over. So um, when, when we think about the experience of, of sensitive kids and how sensitive kids are often demonstrating that they are not actually generalizing their skills, they are just people pleasing in, in certain circumstances um, and then exploding or imploding in others, then it's, it's clear for you as a parent to notice how big of a problem this is. So when both of you are on the same page as parents, if you're, if you're parenting in a pair, um, then it, it, it totally changes the game. So when we think about what's important for, for parenting a sensitive kid, um, it is imperative for both parents to understand the challenge. And if both parents have any contact with sensitive child and raising them, uh, then, then it's critical that that's the first step that you focus on, that both of you understand this is a problem that has urgency and it's a problem that needs to be fixed now. Because if people-pleasing workaholism is your, is your kid's best fit to scenario, we got to look at the other side of this, okay? You've heard me speak about perfectionism and where that, where that lands. And if you haven't, go ahead and check out my other previous shows about it. Um, <clears throat> perfectionism at its, at its worst leads to suicidal thoughts, not being good enough, not being, not feeling capable of that. And, and I've done a whole, um, whole, whole, whole long tra trainings on that. So I'm not going to spend the time today to spend, to talk about it. Um, and, and it's also true, um, that I'm not here to just say that that is, um, isn't, you know, a very clear, relevant, uh, experience for sensitive people because it is. You hear sensitive people all over the internet 
um, who feel misunderstood. And when you feel misunderstood, you feel isolated and isolation is a symptom of depression. And so when you add stress to that, or you add disconnection and, and an inability to, to feel focused at work or an inability to feel accomplished at work, cause it's so overwhelming cause you don't have emotion regulation skills. That's a perfect storm. And that's where it leads to. And in, in terms of uh, the isolating depression that, that then leads to suicidal thoughts. This is pure and simple math here when we think about adding symptoms together and then leading, you know, looking at the odds. So um, it's not speculation. There's plenty of, of research and you can go ahead and, and listen to, to my other talks on myth busting suicide um, and, and the perception of how frequently suicide happens for isolated teens. Um, this is a specialty of mine and it's something that we've been working on in our, in our private practice for years and years. And so when, when you think about being able to hear experts turn that around and, and how we do that uh, for sensitive teens who, who are actually actively suicidal, pay attention. Uh, this is an experience that I have and an expertise that I have. So um, not here to just tell you that, um, uh, you know, that because, because I'm pulling it out of thin air. So when we think about the important piece of how that snowball goes all the way down the hill, you're raising an eight, nine, 10 year old, you need to understand there's a tipping point and that tipping point can be when your kid is 11. It's not when your kid is 14. It's not when your kid is 17, all right? Um, this is incredibly important. Highly sensitive kids who are struggling with perfectionism start to exhibit feelings like life would be better off without them or that um, there's no point to, to living and, and, and giving up becomes a consistent pattern of theirs. When, if that's something that you're dealing with when your child is eight and nine, then you need to be focusing on that now because the giving up pattern doesn't magically disappear when you add hormones to the mix um, and you add frustration, right? And especially if you have both parents who are not on the same page, we have to observe that, that comes first. You both need to see how your child is capable because if you don't think your child is capable, then your kid who already thinks that they are not capable will not believe you when you tell them that they are, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just, you know, one plus one equals two. Again, here's simple math. So let's focus on breaking out of that pattern, okay? Both of you, both parents need to understand that, um, that this is critically important, that, that when you're raising a child in a two-parent household, both parents need to be on the same page. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you both need to be paying attention to the fact that you do not want your kid's worst case scenario to be that they're people-pleasing workaholics. You also don't want your kid's best case scenario to be that they're people-pleasing workaholics. And I would, in, I would in, invite you to observe how the highly sensitive people that you know in, in adulthood are living their lives. Because when we work with families where parents are coming to us, many of them are highly sensitive and many of them are identifying as people-pleasing workaholics. They are tired, they are drained, they are frustrated in their lives. And it's also true that they're parenting kids stuck in the meltdown cycle. So <clears throat> this is not something that I'm just, like I said, uh, just sharing with you based on um, a small data set, okay? 350 families and the majority of those parents, at least one of them is highly sensitive because the odds, you know, being highly sensitive personality trait, there's some genetics involved here. Um, it's important to understand that we know exactly how to help highly sensitive adults break out of the pattern of, of indecision, of, um, feeling like they, they don't know how to make effective decisions without being told what to do, etc. Um, in addition to breaking out of, of the meltdown cycle. So all these things are related. So, um, let's, 
let's cover this, okay? So you uh, need to both understand what it takes to not raise a millennial who's gonna stick in your basement, all right? And I know we've moved out of that uh, um, uh, the generation in the sense that we have, you know, the kids that we're raising now are in a different generation. Um, but we all know what a millennial in the basement looks like, right? And that was a huge issue with, with, that, with that generation. Um, kids who just were consistently enabled at home um, parents did not have the ability to um, support the, their sensitive kids in breaking out of a pattern of believing that they weren't good enough. Um, if they didn't get things that they wanted to, to or didn't achieve things that they wanted to, um, then they quit pretty quickly. And um, that led to a, a lot of parents with a failure to launch issue with their young adult children. And um, we saw how they, that affected the workforce. It's still affecting the workforce today because, you know, being an an employer myself, um, witnessing people who have come out of the workforce with master's degrees, etc., um, the millennials who are hireable are the ones who who aren't people pleasing, um, who aren't workaholics, and, or you know who. And it's also true that they're they're not ones who quit early, right? Um, and that's really important. And so when we think about being able to break out of that pattern. Um, there are a lot of factors to that and you both need to observe uh, what starts that pattern in the first place and that is not only enabling and rescuing your sensitive kid from their big emotions but also stifling them and telling them that they need to suck it up okay those two patterns are really really important for you to observe um, and to break out of so the next piece that we're going to talk about is is being able to support your kids in in building the strength the capacity to feel like they can handle challenge right um, and you can't do that by, by just, you know, telling them to put up or shut up and asserting your authority as a parent. Um, and you also can't do that by saying, by walking on eggshells um, and saying that, that life would, you know, is going to work itself out and shake itself out. Highly sensitive kids struggle to generalize skills. And that means that they need direct and specific instruction on how to build skills. Uh, you can't just wait for your kid to mature out of this. Okay. Personality trait isn't something you mature out of. Think about it. If you're an introvert and you never stretch outside your comfort zone, you will eventually become a hermit. Um, and, and, and that's because the experience of being introverted um, has, and I'm an introvert myself, so I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with it or that you have, um, you know, that there's a flaw in the, in the personality trait. But introverts need to have friends, right? Introverts need to communicate with other people. Introverts need to um, need to reach out, need to have uh, communication skills, okay? So if you're a highly sensitive kid and you don't have those communication skills, you don't know how to reach out to seek support, you don't know how to, to you know, trust that other people have your best interests at hand and that they can help you even when you don't know how to ask all the way um, the first time, you know, right, ask, you know, in, a, in an effective way the first time, but you can be persistent and know um, that the people eventually help you if you figure out how to ask in an effective way. Um, then, then, you know, if you don't have those skills, then you're going to stop trusting people. If you don't if you stop trusting people, you're going to feel more comfortable um, by yourself. Um, for better or worse, right? You might feel more comfortable because you've given up trying. Um, same thing for, uh, for extroverts, okay? Extroverts also need the ability to slow down, um, to experience the world in a way that isn't always uh, necessarily go, go, go with a lot of social engagement, okay? Otherwise, you're going to hook up with, with different people um, just because you can't be alone, right? So 
those are two personality traits, okay? 70% of highly sensitive people are introverted, which means they're 30% are extroverted. Um, so they're not, I'm not ex describing the same thing, but what I'm trying to do is give you the example of people with personality traits um, also have to balance themselves out in that respect. Uh, same thing for sensitive people, okay? You can't just experience your sensitivities um, and not look at stretching outside of that comfort zone. So enabling your sensitive kid by saying, oh my gosh, this, this light is so bright for you, let's just never go to the mall, is not going to solve the problem. Or Target, or you know what I mean? Like any other, any, any major department store where they shut down the windows. Um, so you stay in there longer, right? Um, we all understand uh, psychology, retail psychology. So um, there's important pieces that people need to be able to tolerate. Um, and, and, you know, bright lights can happen on the, on the screens too. So just shopping online isn't going to solve the problem of never going into Target. You might need to get something that is, needs to be in your house in the next 20 minutes. Um, so you're going to need to be able to tolerate those bright lights, right? In some, in some way, shape or form. Um, and so it's important to not be in this all or nothing. You can't handle it. Therefore, I won't teach you how to handle it. Um, experience or you can handle it I don't know that I don't trust that you're telling me you can't handle it so I'm just gonna make you handle it by stuffing um, any belief that you have that you can't handle it and not listening to you right so neither of those approaches work and it's incredibly important for for your kid to receive direct and specific feedback on their behavior without criticizing them without telling them that they're wrong for it without telling them that they um, should have known it better or that they showed it to you in one avenue of life so um, why can't they show it to you in another avenue of life? That's not up to your child to learn about themselves. Children build insight about how they feel about a situation, not about how the, and why they do a certain thing a certain way. That uh, level of, of abstract thought isn't even available uh, for development until the child starts to, be, to, to move into adolescence. And so when we think about having kids uh, psychoanalyze themselves, why do you do it like this? Why are you talking like this? The answer, I don't know, is, is perfect because you're asking a kid to think like they're 25, 30 um, when they're six or when they're 14, okay? So um, another reason why talk therapy doesn't work because highly sensitive kids, while they can be very wise, they can speculate, they're also likely to speculate in a way that they think an adult is going to help, um, is going to receive it well because, you know, hence the, the, the whole pattern of people pleasing. So we think about what actually relates to change. You as a parent need to lead your child out of this pattern. You as a parent need to be playful and engaging and caring in a way that helps your sensitive kid un feel understood, okay? Now, I'm not saying that you don't care about your kid. You wouldn't be raising them if you didn't. But the, the approach that you're sending to your kid and how you're trying to raise them actually leads your child to think that you don't care. Hence the reason why we hear many kids say, you don't love me, if you loved me, you wouldn't do this, I hate you, you hate me, etc. So these are all symptoms, again, of the meltdown cycle. And so it's important for you to notice that as much as you do care, if you're using an ineffective strategy to get out of this pattern, your child is going to second guess that. Your child is going to have a hard time believing um, that, they, that they are lovable. And uh, that, unfortunately, um, isn't uh, something that you can necessarily convince your kid to feel otherwise your actions have to demonstrate that uh, your words aren't as powerful as your actions and so when we think about being able to make that commitment to break out of this pattern you need to take uh, strong and significant action yourself changing the entire strategy rather than just picking tactics to switch 
um, is, is incredibly important in breaking out of that pattern. You got to be focusing, like I said, in how you as a parent are viewing the whole situation. That's a, that's a mindset thing, but it's also a perspective shift, a paradigm shift for many parents. Um, the next thing is observing how to do this playfully communicate through your child's language, which is play. Okay. We can't just be cracking jokes and making, making fun of the situation. That's not what I mean by playful, <clears throat> excuse me, getting over a cold. Um, but what I mean is the ability for you and your child to, um, to communicate in a way that, that helps your child feel like they can relax in the, in the conversation. Okay. Um, and that's not going to work if you're just poking fun or mocking or, or any sort of, you know, cracking jokes component. That's not the playfulness we're talking about here. And then the next thing is being able to communicate in a way that helps your child feel like they can handle this challenge in bite-sized pieces. Um, and that requires a lot of perspective, um, and, and quite frankly, expert perspective on what to prioritize. Maybe for your particular child, it is to prioritize how they ask the question with kindness and, and respectful language. And some other children, it is, um, whether or not they're getting the action done, right? And this just depends on the child and the approach is, is dependent on your family. So how do we know what we do is going to work for your particular family? Um, I don't, I have to have a conversation with you or my team has to have a conversation with you because there are a multitude of factors that pay that, that play into the meltdown cycle, as well as play into how a parent is perpetuating the meltdown cycle in the family dynamic. And as parents, you need to be able to not only observe that, but also be willing to, to be the catalyst for change in your family. Um, and you know, there can be environmental circumstances that could keep this pattern going, uh, that makes the work that we here at MTC do, uh, low, long, slow, and, and ineffective, which means we wouldn't, um, invite you to work with us because it just doesn't make sense. Um, and, and given the circumstances, more appropriate, um, approach might be, uh, therapy or, um, a, a, you know, reading on your own, changing some, some things on your own. Um, or just a, a pretty clear assessment of whether or not your kid's behavior is actually developmentally appropriate or not. And we're happy to have that conversation with you. Okay. But if you're ready to break out of this pattern, I encourage you to book that call with our team because you have the ability to observe exactly what can, what can change it. And you have the ability to make that decision now and to fix it now. Uh, the, the whole dynamic needs to be, uh, needs to be shifted. And that requires some, some pretty significant work on your end as a parent, um, and you need to be ready to, to do that work. And if you are, um, let's have a conversation. We're excited to, to talk to you and see whether or not we'd be a fit to turn that around with you. And, um, if we're not, like I said, we would, we would tell you exactly what would be the next steps that you need to take, um, to, to change the dynamic you have in, in your family, because no parent, no child, no family member was put on this earth to be miserable. And so if you guys are stuck in this painful experience, it's time to break out of it. There's no more time to, um, like than now, um, to, to give to this, to thinking about this issue. It's time to act. And we're here to have that conversation with you. We look forward to talking to you and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of how to parent your highly sensitive child like a ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, 
We'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.